Hey, it's a me, Mario. Love Channel 101, but hate looking at shit? Try Frequency 101. All you gotta do is record an audio pilot, make it five minutes or less, and submit it to... Submissions at Channel101.com! The listening audience will vote for the favorites, Mamma Mia, and the top five shows will return next month. And don't worry, it's all audio, so you won't have to look at any flop dongs. Frequency 101, you won't have to look at any dicks or buttholes. You are listening to Primetime Flies, a Channel 101 podcast where time flies and we talk with all sorts of Primetime Channel 101 and Frequency 101 people, creators, writers, actors, directors. And the point is to get to know these wonderful people and we'll learn more about their craft, certainly their relationship with Channel 101. And I'll use my time to shower them with much deserved appreciation, affection and gratitude for their work. Hey, everyone. Thanks for coming back for another podcast episode. I had to take a week off in order to finish my Frequency 101 show while still showing up on time for my job. Anyway, back this week and a day earlier than Friday, which is usually the goal post, but here it is now as a treat for your patience. If you don't already know, Frequency 101, our podcast, uh, our audio-only monthly festival and podcast, is up for another week-long round of voting that ends on Saturday night after its rebroadcast live on Twitch at 8 p.m. Pacific time with digital doors at 7.30 p.m. That's right. Go listen to Frequency 101 now and get those votes in. There's only eight shows to listen to that are all only five minutes or less, but you already know that. You click on the vote link in the episode description. Da-da-da-da. Task completed. The Channel 101 screening is on Sunday. That's right, baby. Halloween at 7.30 digital doors and live event at 8 p.m. Pacific time. 11 p.m. Eastern. And when I say Halloween screening being awesome and great, it's because Halloween is sweeps. It also means everyone gets a couple months off of uh, 101 stuff after it. Take a rest or get ahead on your January 2022 shit. I hope you're well. How are you? Are you connected with Channel 101 on social media? You can try uh, at Channel 101 official on Instagram follow it and then click the link on our profile that'll open up all the other stuff are you signed up to the patreon with the exclusive surfing through time podcast that you get when you do that do it are you logged into the channel 101 twitch do that for sure with weekly weekend streams and uh, the screenings being there uh, that's twitch.tv slash channel 101 official if you wanted to hear me say it there are two things that i'd like for you to know about my guest tyler spears before we begin If you've been living under a rock and don't already know this, he's a handsome, handsome dude. When I reached out to him, I asked him in some way if he were to be on the podcast that I tell him how handsome he was until he said, stop it, a certain way. Uh, The first thing in his reply was, stop it, which I know is different over text, but uh, it was an awestruck moment for me. The other thing is that, well, unless you have to catch up, There's some great work on Channel 101 and YouTube to back this up. But Tyler Spears is a ridiculously talented writer, actor, show creator, and more. His show, Classroom, set a hard-to-beat primetime stamina record quite early on and did it while show-running Planet Unicorn with Mike Rose. Tyler Spears 
acted the fuck out of over 50 episodes of shows, starting with he and Joe Davidson's President Cops in October 2004, and most recently Aaron Moles' Monopoly in 2012. Other shows he's in include uh, Return to Superman's Water and Power, both of them, uh, Yuri, Yacht Rock, Dohar, Lord of the Beasts, and Gardening Wars. Listen, there's a million reasons to love my guests, and I just named a few. Please give a warm welcome to Tyler Spears. Good afternoon. Hello. How are you? Not too bad. You're from Connecticut, which is sort of just south of me. Yeah. Did you have winter up there or down there? Oh, yeah. Connecticut's like living in New York. Um, I live like smack dab in the middle of Connecticut, off to the left a little bit. About an, It's about an hour drive from New York City. So if you can imagine New York City, Connecticut's just like that, except more country. Right. Uh, I grew up in the country uh, on a, at a farmhouse. We didn't run a farm, but it was an old farmhouse. And we had like uh, cornfields across from us and cow manure and uh, cows, <laughs> horses and yeah, my town was called Bethlehem. I, I, I was in Bethlehem, Woodbury, Connecticut. And Woodbury is like the antique capital of Connecticut. I used to think it was the antique capital of the world, but I've just found out it's only the antique capital of Connecticut. So, <laughs> Yeah, but for a young boy, it's the antique capital of the world. Yes. I always thought that was, yeah. I, I liked it when it was more world, but you know. It's, uh, it said somewhere that you were 12 when you wrote your first screenplay. Yeah, that- I think it was around 12. It was somewhere between 10 and 12. I was the type of kid who would like, you know, get movies, you know, like summer school with Mark Harmon. I was obsessed with that movie. So I would get like a movie like that. We we got like, I got like two VCRs and I would record it and then I would like label it. And then I would make like a whole, like Meg Ryan and uh, when Harry met Sally, when she has like her movies, I had like a movie thing like that. So I was really into movies. Uh, I was into SNL comedy. Uh, uh, sorry, where's my dog? My, um... We were like the first people to get video cameras and where we where we lived. Mm-hmm. I was always like making comedy sketches when I was a kid, trying to you know do SNL type comedy sketches with my brother. And can we hold one second. I just sure. I want to put this dog away. <laughs> yeah, so I was like really into movies. You know, I had like a subscription to um, Entertainment Weekly. I watched Entertainment Tonight every night. I was just obsessed. So I was like, well, I'm going to write my own movie, and I wrote this movie called Kidnapped. It's about like a rich, it's about like rich kids, rich tweens who get right. kidnapped. It's called Kidnapped. <laughs> nice. And it was 160 pages, but it was like one line. It wasn't like formatted correctly. So it was like, it was formatted like, you know, like a play would be. Right. Or it was like line after that. So it was 160 pages of that. But I had like a plot, you know, it had villains, it had, you know, a twist at the end. It turns out that the maid is the one who like kidnapped them. So I thought like, oh, when I wrote that, I thought like, oh, this is it. I've already made it. So I was like trying to get my mother to like send the script to Steven Spielberg or whatnot. She actually did like make attempts to get it to people and stuff like that. But um, I was trying to do stuff even in this little tiny town that I lived in and doing the video stuff, you know, like, the, you know, everybody's doing the video stuff now, of course. But back then I was just like making sketches and they were on like a videotape and then I would like show them to like my family and stuff like that. That was like the only way you could <laughs> get an audience did you feel empowered and excited about the whole thing whether or not anyone knew of it outside of your family oh yeah i thought i was like you know a star right and then when i would use the video camera at like you know family events and stuff like that i was always like walking around with it on the other side of the camera and like telling jokes and stuff like that and getting people to kind of open up and stuff like that you know just doing any type of comedy that i could my father was a very is a very funny guy 
the joke was that he looked like Chevy Chase. Um, he, when he was younger, he looked like Chevy Chase from vacation. Right. Not so much in the face, but in just the way that he like dressed up and stuff like that, you know, like just looked like a dad, you know what I mean? Right. And he was like, he's the same height. He's a big guy. So he's the same height as Chevy Chase. And, you know, he had like that kind of dumb Chevy Chase type of humor. He would tell all these dumb jokes. And I was always like, oh, my dad's hilarious. My brother also had a really good sense of humor, too. And my mother, of course, is really funny. So we were just like a very rambunctious, a very energetic kind of family. I myself am, am super energetic. I was complete. I was like insanely hyperactive when I was younger and every once in a while when I'm older. <laughs> so I was just like completely just wild, you know, crazy kid, just like insane, like trying to do like insane, like Chris Farley, like you said, Chris Farley, Jim Carrey type comedy even when a camera wasn't on me. So performing and stuff like that was just kind of instinctually inbred in me, I guess. Right. So I just loved to do any type of comedy and stuff like that. And then, you know, as I got older, like, you know, as I got into my teens, I was like, or when I was 10 or 12 and I started getting into the movies and stuff like that, that's when I tried to start figuring out like, well, how can I do this? Cause I knew like right after I wrote that screenplay that I loved it so much that I wanted to like move out to Los Angeles or New York city or wherever you could do whatever you needed to do. When I got in, into high school, it was more like uh, I was going to go to college um, to get a degree. And then the, the idea was like right after college, I would move out to Los Angeles, which I did and get and try to get onto SNL. So, you know, I didn't really know how to get on SNL. So it was more like, I'm just going to go out to LA and try to be an actor. Once I got out, I found out about the Groundlings mm -hmm. and uh, later Improv Olympic. And like, there's another one called, uh, yeah, Improv Olympic and then UCB. I did both of those, but I did Groundlings first. Um, and I did really well at the Groundlings. I made it all the way up to the uh, kind of like last level before you can make it into the Sunday company. And mm -hmm. I didn't make it into the Sunday company, which was kind of devastating. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? And then I was just kind of working and uh, Joe Davidson had seen some of my sketch comedy uh, and he, he really liked it. So we decided to kind of start doing sketches together, like video sketches. And then he, one day he got me a job at Yahoo. I worked there. What did he do at Yahoo? He was a copy editor for Yahoo and he got me a job as a copy editor at Yahoo. So we were working at Yahoo in like the same. So he pulled me over to his desk one day and he showed me an episode of the boo. Okay. Um, by the Lonely Island guys. And he's like, oh, you got to see this. Come over to my desk. And I looked at it. And I'm like, then he just explained to me what Channel 101 was from that. And then kind of Channel 101 was kind of like the saving grace of like, because after the Groundlings, I'm like, well, how am I going to get on SNL? Or how am I going to like, get, you know, do stuff? And I wanted to only be involved in like things that were like, you know, if you put a lot of work into it and if you do well, you'll get some type of recognition from it. You know what I mean? Because at that point, YouTube was not, you know, there wasn't a YouTube. It was just kind of like, birthing at that point, YouTube. So Channel 101 was like, oh, and there was like, you know, a lot of really awesome people at Channel 101, you know? Mm -hmm. I didn't really know who the Lonely Island guys were. I didn't know who, you know, Dan Harmon and all those guys and Justin. I didn't know any of them, those guys. But when I saw the Channel 101 thing, I was like, oh, these guys are like super, you know, because those, those are all the guys that were doing it when Joe and I looked at it. Right. And then I'm like, you know, I really wanted to do my President Bush impression because I had a really good <laughs> President Bush impression. Right. And I was like, oh, I got to do this. Like, I got to figure out how some way to get this to SNL or something like that. So that's why we did the, you know, because Joe did a, a great, you know, we did sketch comedy together and, or, or improv and he would pull out his Abe Lincoln every once in a while. So I was like, oh, we should do like Abe Lincoln and uh, George W. Bush or, you know, America's best president. And, we're, and that's how we came up. 
And yeah. that was our first foray into Channel 101. And we kind of made a little bit of a splash there. For the listener, the day we're recording this is October 20th, which is five days shy of 17 years ago that President Cops was screened. Wow. That was the Halloween wow. screening. Hey, everyone. For the first interlude today, I decided instead of a single clip to give you a, a wee compilation of some great Stop It moments, show creator Mike Rose, it ran for a tasty 10 episodes from June 07 to June 08. Here you go. Dennis, my name's Dr. David Gleason. I'm a Stop It counselor. I came here to help you stop making crank phone calls. No, you are not leaving. No, you're not leaving. Dennis, are you gonna stop right now? Are you gonna stop right now today, Dennis? Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Listen to him, listen to her! Stop it, Dennis! Mercedes, my name is Dr. David Gleza. I'm a stop it counselor. I'm here to get you to stop wearing the same outfit. Will you stop it? Stop it! No, this is all I have. It's all I have. It's all I'm good at. I like this outfit. Stop it! Stop it, Mercedes. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! What's going on here? Shadow, Jill, my name is Dr. David Gleesa. I'm a stop it counselor. I want you to stop that! Stop it! Stop it. Stop, stop it! stop it! Stop it! Just stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. I'm sorry. No. I'll stop it. What about Jill? What about Jill? Jill? What about Jill? I was hoping that Jill would stop it too. Stop Jill, it. Stop, stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! No way! Stop it! Stop! Stop it! Okay. All right. It's very rare that you get two stops. It says in the description on the current website that the pilot was a Chauncey, a Chauncey. Do you know what that term means in 101? Yeah, I think there was a guy named, I don't know his first name, his, let's say, I heard so he had a name, a first name, let's say it was Brad. That's probably not it, but his name was like something Chauncey. Right. And I guess what the Chauncey was is that guy demanded that there should be like one other slot for like a pilot that everybody really liked, but that didn't get in somehow, right. right? It was something like that, like a last chance for like a pilot that was really good, but just didn't have enough to get over the other five choices that they made or five or six choices that they made. Right. So they would put it in as a Chauncey. <laughs> I'm always interested in stuff like this as I go through whatever existential crisis I'm going through, uh, as we all do. It's fascinating and wonderful you stayed steadfast in your, I don't even know what to call it, but for like from 12, from that screenplay, it seems like you believed in what you wanted to do enough that, unless you could tell me otherwise, it seems like nothing got in your way, including yourself, including your own faith in yourself or effort you put towards moving to Los Angeles, getting involved with shit. What's something that you could tell people who are, you know, riding the fence and downplayed the idea of entertainment you know because a lot of people are like be realistic work in retail you asshole you're not gonna I don't, I don't know how to finish that sentence but you know what i mean like i don't know say something inspiring off the hop i'll put <laughs> what would i say to that um 
Well, you can always move out to Los Angeles, New York City, or wherever you want to pursue whatever you want to do, whether it's an actor or or writer or director or whatnot. Uh, You can always do those things, especially now, I think. You could do that where you live. Like, you could do that in Canada. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then you could just submit and, you know, do meetings like that on Zoom. You couldn't do that in the past. The Fuzai had to physically move to Los Angeles. Right. But now it's much easier to do so you know for instance you want to be a writer you could be a writer in siberia and you write whatever it is and you, you know you get someone's attention if you write something good and someone latches onto it and help you develop it or whatnot uh so anyone can do anything from their own bedroom or wherever wherever they are now so i would say you know you could get that job to support yourself because everybody has to get a day job anyways if they move out to los angeles <laughs> yeah you know, whether you're a waiter or you're, you know, you're doing sales on a phone from your, you know, from your house or you're working remote, you could always, you know, be writing and, you know, producing and stuff like that. You know, when we were doing all the channel one-on-one stuff, we were poor and had, you know, edit, I had editing jobs that I would have to do. And I would do an editing job for three months and, you know, save up a bunch of money and then, you know, have three months off and get unemployment and then do the whole process over again. And when that, I've had that three months off, Or even when I was working, you know, you're still kind of like writing and creating stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you just do that until you, if you feel like if this is for you, because, you know, for a lot of people, it isn't for them because it is kind of like a real struggle. So you have to like, do you really want to do this? Do you think you have the, you know, the talent and the um, perseverance to to pull through and do it? And um, yeah, I guess that would be, right. does that answer the question? (laughs) No, that's a solid answer to a, poorly conceived and worded question that I put you on the spot with, and I loved it. I suppose a good follow-up question to that, would you advocate that someone who has the passion for storytelling, performing in some way, that they find a place for it in their lives, whether it's career or that they're still exercising that muscle, no matter what the landing zone is? The landing Uh, zone. yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to be a creative person, you know, I guess there's different degrees to it. If you want to just like be creative, you can just read a book and, you know, live within the book or watch a television show that you really love. And you're involved in a creative process of like, you know, reading a book and watching a television show, you're involved in the creative process while you're watching it or or reading it. Right. Especially reading because you have to like imagine these things that people are writing down. You're each person is having their own perspective when they're reading a book. You know what I mean? They're all creating these own, you know, what the characters look like and all that type of stuff. So TV is a little bit different because you're being shown given everything. But in terms of like creating your own stuff, it's it's really tough to break through. You know what I mean? Like you have to be, you really have to, you know, want to do it, you know, because there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make in terms of like, if you want to live like the regular life that, you know, people look at as, as a regular life, you know what I mean? Like right. you know, working, having a consistent paycheck, not getting rejected all the time. I mean, you're getting rejected all the time. You're you're creating things in a bubble and then you're bringing that thing and you're putting it out to people. And then you'll write something like really, you know, that you think is fantastic and you'll get like someone else, three or four people will say it's fantastic. And then you'll get one person who's like, thinks it's like terrible people. It's, it's a very kind of like judgmental industry. Right. So you have to have, you know, you have to have tough skin. You have to really want to do it. There was something that that I just remembered. Do you remember how long ago we lost our um, Eddie Van Halen? Yeah, that that was last last year, right? That was last year. I cannot think of Eddie Van Halen without seeing you as Eddie Van Halen in Yacht Rock. That was larger than life, man. In terms of him, like he lived 
you know, full life. And, you know, what more could he have gotten out of life? <laughs> of course, you know, you want to live as long as possible, but, you know, he, he was able to so, say, yeah, it, it sucks that, you know, he died in terms of the, uh, of playing him. Yeah. That was fun because like, you know, I love music, but I'm not, I, I imagine that these guys like, you know, like JD Risner are like super into music. You know what I mean? Like I was into like movies and stuff like that. Like, yeah. The way that they're probably into music. Right. But when he wanted me to play him, he just he wanted me to play him like um, who, Animal from, uh, from uh, Sesame Street. Oh, Sesame Street? I think it's the Muppets. Is Animal on Sesame Street? Oh, Muppets. Yeah. That's kind of perfect for me because, you know, uh, I'm pretty subdued when I'm on like things like this and stuff like that. But I can get crazy Chris Farley type comedy. You know, I could do that that type of comedy. I haven't had super, a lot of opportunities to do it. But that was an opportunity I was able to do that type of energy that I could bring to it. And that's kind of like, you know, that's part of my persona is this like, you know, I could do like the crazy, like smiling and laughing and rocking and just, you know, if you want me to just like bug my eyes out and go crazy and, and you know, play a crazy character, I can do that. And that character was fun because it's like you get to do all your comedy through, you know, someone was like acting in a silent film. You know what I mean? I didn't have to do any dialogue. So that almost took the pressure off. Mm-hmm. And then you were working with like, you know fun other characters i think I, I remember the second episode i was in i was working with like jeff davis i was like I, maybe i was with jeff davis both of them was jeff davis in the first one? Um, oh no 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 that was uh demorge demorge was playing michael jackson right right so yeah just the other characters that i was bouncing off of were great you know what i mean and then the way they get they give me a guitar and it was and i had the wig it was just a, it, yeah it was a ton of fun when it comes to criticism because we were talking about like when you make something and you can get positive and negative criticism. How are you on yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I have a problem in my own self of like self-doubt and thinking that I'm not good enough. There's definitely like that in just my regular day life that I've always had to deal with my entire life. Hmm. Like, um, you know, I don't feel I'm good enough or, you know, other people are doing better than me. Why are they doing better than me? Am I as, ta- am I as talented as I think I am or am I not? So I'm always kind of dealing with that stuff. The one thing that I've learned, you know, like in the last probably 10 years, because I've gotten more into like writing. I just write now. I'm trying to get back into acting, but I just, I like writing something and then submitting it rather than, you know, or, you know, cause I have a manager and everything like that. And then, you know, them submitting it to companies and stuff like that. This way I don't have to like, you know, get on here and like pitch it or whatnot. I like, like having like a finished written product, which is why I like really like writing. I like writing scripts and stuff like that. Cause you can write it all by yourself. Then you get like a bunch of notes from people that you trust and, you know, you can, I'm involved in programs where you can pay people to actually read it and give you notes on it too. So you go through that whole process and then you have like a real, a script that you really love and really confident. And then you send it out there, which is like, you know, acting is a little tough because, you know, but I think it's easier now, which is why I'm getting back into it. Cause you could do a lot of your acting and auditions from like here in your home and stuff like that. You don't have to like drive. It's not like such a grind or it doesn't seem like it is, but yeah, that's why I've kind of transitioned more of into just a writer. I like the writing process. I like to be around other people creating things. Critic-wise, the, the 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 best thing. Oh, so the thing that I learned in the last ten years is like I feel like throughout my entire career, the things that have been the most successful for me are things that are like really true to who I am. So like when I did the Groundlings and I was really good at the Groundlings and I moved up all the levels, I was doing sketches that were like you know 
one of the sketches was like my dad yelling at me for you know, my dad had a sailboat and I dropped the anchor once and he like lost his mind and like yelled at me. And I did a whole sketch about that. And like, so people loved that sketch. And it was, that was basically like, you know, I was taking something from my actual life and, you know, blowing it up a little bit into like a comedy thing. You know what I mean? Right. And what I learned from that sketch is like, you know, if you do things that are just a little bit from your life, that's like you're going to be your most successful stuff. So classroom, for instance, that Mr. Miller character is based off of my typing teacher that I had in high school, Mr. Miller. And he was just this like super nice guy who was like, you know, you get your teachers who are like very flustered and they're mad and they're yelly. You know what I mean? They'll like scream at you and stuff like that. This guy, Mr. Miller that I had was like, he was like a typing teacher and he kind of had like a nice soft kind of Jack Nicholson voice. Right. Yeah. So he was just like a really sweet guy and he would always like try to help students and stuff like that. So when I did classroom, I was like, oh, I'm going to make him like the main character and I'll play him. That way I have like a personal connection to it. And then I kind of morph that with like, you know, those movies that I love, like Lean on Me and The Substitute with Tom Berenger. So I kind of took all those elements and kind of put it into its own thing. And I, you know, I loved after school special type things. So I wanted to do a show like that. And that's kind of like where Classroom came from. And obviously that was a, a big hit for me at Channel 101. So, yeah. So a lot of the scripts that I'm doing now and that do really well for me and get me lots of meetings and job opportunities are scripts that are like really, you know, about my life. You know what I mean? I take an element from my life and I write it and I write it very realistic and as authentic as, as I can make it, but also kind because of, it's comedy, also like injecting the comedy into it. Whereas even when I was at Channel 101 and The Growlings and I was writing scripts then, like full-length scripts, like they were not good. I've got a bunch of scripts back from that era and they're not good because it's just like I'm taking like a concept and I'm trying to make the concept funny and I'm not injecting any of my personal into right. it. I'm like, you know, I have like this idea of like, you know, maybe like people are in purgatory and, you know, whatever that concept is and I'm trying to make it funny. And it's just not working because it's not like, you know, it's not my personal life, you know, like, like, I guess a good example, I'm watching Seinfeld because it just came out on, yeah. Netflix. you know, that's from both Seinfeld and that's like a morph of Seinfeld and Larry David's lives. You know what I mean? That's why that show is like the best sitcom ever, because it's literally like, you know, like Larry David, you know, writing about a parking spot. You know, there's like, <laughs> there's like multiple parking spot episodes in that series. Yeah. You know, that's the type of comedy that I like, you know, is Seinfeld and because it's New York and I grew up with kind of people like that. I had like Uncle Leo's and parents. I had parents like that, you know, the nosy parents. So uh, anyway, I've kind of rambled on. But what was the was the question about criticism? Yeah. Basically, yeah. what I would say is like write about your personal life somehow. You know, even if like you're writing like a Lord of the Rings type fantasy thing, make whoever the main character is or the protagonist that you're writing about, make him you somehow. And then you'll have a better, you know, and another thing I've learned is like, you got to make the character likable too, as likable as you could possibly make him. You know, he can have tons of faults, but you don't want to write, you know, something about like <laughs> someone who never leaves there, unless it's funny. Right. It's just like the, for me, like when you see enough movies with happy endings, you sort of yearn for the experience where someone takes a chance and leaves you on a down note or uh, yeah. the Brett Easton Ellis movie characters, meaning movies inspired by his novels where like it's a practice in following an unsympathetic narrator, which is crazy, but it's a deviation because what you, I agree with what you, they, they got to be likable. 
or at least sympathetic. I don't know. No, no. Uh, so you're talking about like American Psycho and uh, Less Than Zero. Less Than Zero. The Rules of Attraction is probably my favorite. It was. It hit me like a ton of bricks because I was 18 when it came out. Yeah. And, you know, my generation was the American Pie when we were 15. And, you know, I hate a lot of that turn of the century crap. But The Rules of Attraction was like, oh, this is new. You're but, talking about the movie or the book? Ah, uh, both. Like the, the I, don't, I don't read the book of that, but I, yeah, I saw the movie. It's a good movie. Um, yeah, those movies are very dark. You know, they deal with like drug addiction and, you know, loneliness. <laughs> but it's like the drug addiction and loneliness of like really super attractive people, right? Yeah, and <laughs> like ignorantly wealthy, like just right. unaware that they're. But people like to see that, you know what I mean? Like they like to see like rich people failing and doing drugs because yeah. people sit at home and they're like, ah, see, that's what happens when you're rich. You get <laughs> yeah. Those movies are dire. They're good though. Yeah. I remember seeing less than zero when I was a kid and I was like blown away by Robert Downey Jr. in that. Right. Uh, I think that's when he really popped as like a serious actor. Like people are like, whoa, this guy's like. Because he was always like, you know, everybody always loved Robert Downey Jr. But in that, they're like, whoa, he's going to be like the next big, you know, thing. And, you know, then he had his like years of, you know, drug addiction and himself and all that stuff. And then he kind of pulled out of it. But uh, yeah, I remember Lesson Zero. And that was a very like, because it was a very sexual movie. I was probably like too young to be watching it. I think that there's something about back in those days, like I was able to watch, I don't know if it was you, I was able to watch like any rated R movie I wanted. Well, uh, I, I don't know if that's the case anymore, but when it came to renting or going to see them, like going to the movies, like I could, you know, right. I could see any, there was never any, like, I think people were just like, movies were such a new thing. And the, maybe the eighties just kind of took everybody by surprise. Cause like, Whoa, there's all these like hypersexual movies coming up. I didn't really know how to like, <laughs> well, I, I definitely feel like I spent my whole life archeologically appreciating the eighties movies. But in the 90s in Canada, we had PG-13, 14A, and 18A. But the point is, I was 12, and if I bought a ticket to a movie that was 14A, like Scream or whatever, they would let me see it. He's probably 14. A 12-year-old looks 14 to a movie ticket stamper. It's mm -hmm. fine. <laughs> What's up, buddies? Kayla here, host of the podcast Screen Vomit, which is a movie podcast for geeks and freaks of all kinds, breaking down films from the last 10 years, joined by people in various aspects of the entertainment industry, including musicians, filmmakers, and even several 101ers that y'all know and love, including, but not limited to, Alex Kavitsky, Anna Saragina, and even Todd Donald himself. I love movies, you love movies, I've never met a 101-er who doesn't know what a movie is, but even if you don't, maybe you'll learn a few things, so check it out, Screen Vomit, wherever you find your podcasts. Hey all for the next clip, I very giddily present uh, a bit of episode four of Tyler Spears and Mike Rose's Planet Unicorn, and this is from episode four, which screened in June 2007 at the same time as both Stop It and Classroom. Mindfuck. What, what ratio of creativity and talent to no sleep went into its creation? Tr trick question. Anyway, Tyler Spears, as you should know, plays the unicorn Tom Cruise, and the other voices are Mike Rose and Drew Drogi. Enjoy this clip. In the year 2117, an eight-year-old gay boy named Shannon found a magic lamp. He was granted three wishes. The first, a fur jacket. The second, a flying car. And the third was a planet full of unicorns. 
This is the story of that planet. A gay boy wished for a planet full of unicorns. Planet unicorn, unicorn planet. Give it up for feathers. Ooh, Cadillac and Tom Cruise. Oh! Hey, let's watch TV. Sounds good to me. I like to watch TV. I want to be on top. This is a good show. Sure is. It's about models. I want to be a model. Me too. Me too. We all want to be models. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> hey, look, she's gonna pick the winner. I'm so nervous. I'm scared out of my mind. Who will it be? America's next top model is Adrian. Yeah. She won. Good for her. I bet she's happy. I want to be on that show. Me too. I think I would win. I think I would win. No, I think I would win. Hey, no, I think I would I win. Would. No. What? No. What about I don't me? think you have what it takes, Cadillac. You do not have a fresh face. Hey, you guys won't have a chance next to me. I don't like you guys. I am moving to a different part of the planet. <gasps> not before I do. I'm moving too. Shut up. <laughs> I am so mad at Tom Cruise and Feathers. They said I cannot be a model. I think you could be a model. You're attractive and lovable. Thank you, Frog. <laughs> when I think of models, I think of style and grace. Cadillac and Tom Cruise don't have that. I know I'm just a rock, but I think you would be a good model. Thank you, Rock. That's what I said. I just sit there all day. Uh, uh, I'm a rock. You sure are. <laughs> As far as you have classroom, you're the show creator for that, and you're also in it. Uh, and other shows like Yacht Rock or Gardening Wars or or whatever else, Return to Superman's, you are an actor in it. There's probably pros and cons to both. As far as like making something, especially in that fucking three to four week period where it has to get done, lest ye be, I don't know, whatever the channel 101 term is for checking out. What, what Which one do you prefer? Seeing something that you created from nothingness come together? Or oh, do yeah. you like to just be on the set being like, I, I just no. got to read lines and look. No, I like creating it. If you're going to say, what one do I like more? Yeah. Definitely the creation. Because when you're acting in other people's stuff, it's like, it's their thing. Uh, sometimes you have good experiences. Sometimes you have bad experiences. It just depends on like, you know, what's going on. But yeah, I liked I liked creating it more. It's it's much more, um, you know, going to the screening and seeing your thing that you created up there, yeah. win, and get good reactions. It's also good other people's stuff gets good reactions that you're acting in. Mm-hmm. But uh, the feeling of like you know winning or you know getting a good reaction from the audience at Channel One Hundred One, it's much better to be you know to have created the thing. Yeah, it is more tasks. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, that is exhausting, you know, when you get into it. And I had like a, it was almost a three-year run, I think. Let me see. I think Classroom was 20, uh, 2005. I created the end of 2005 and that went almost for a year and a half because there was there was kind of like a lot of stoppages. Like there would right. be like a few months off. And yeah. Classroom morphed right into Planet Unicorn. So we were doing Classroom and Planet Unicorn at the same time. And then Mike created Stop It, which morphed into doing Planet Unicorn and Stop It at the same time. And then Stop It went for like 10 months. Right. So that was almost like three-year period. That was very exhausting. Yeah. Uh, well, it was completely exhausting. and um, But it was worth it 
especially when like classroom and planet unicorn were both like, you know, they would be like one and two mm-hmm. and then pl- class and then planet unicorn was like blowing up outside of channel one. one Right. So right in that period, it was like, Oh, you're doing all this work, but it's like really, you know, cause you're like killing it. You know what I mean? Like it's like two hits going at the same time and they're both different. You know what I mean? One's a, a live action ensemble piece and the other is a, animated thing which i never thought i would do right and then you know it's very to, to be able to take this animated thing and not having done animation before and make this huge hit mm-hmm. that was very gratifying uh, but yeah it's super exhausting because i remember like i remember doing classroom and planet unicorn at one time and i hadn't slept in like three days and i had to drive down to ryan elders because he was doing the music for both and i was just like almost falling asleep in the car because i had to drive from like hollywood to santa monica mm-hmm. and i would have to sit there with with ryan and kind of like give him you know he would do the music but i would be like oh you should do this here you know like directing a little bit and then you know there would be sometimes where i you know taking both of those shows uh mixed with music directly to you know the screening you know what i mean like the screening was going to start in like two hours and i would have to like hand and a lot of people you know were doing that as well uh just right up until the last minute so yeah it was like you know when it was all over when the three-year thing was over i was you know i was kind i wasn't done with channel 101 but i was done like creating (laughs) channel 101 shows for a while i don't think i created one after that but um it was fantastic like you know i remember the first episode of classroom Cause I had had like president cops and I'd actually had a series called my American family, which did relatively well. Uh, it got, it placed, uh, like one month, but then it got canceled in the second episode. Uh, and I was happy with those things, but classroom was like a real kind of like, you can almost feel it, you know, like Rob and Dan came up to you and they're like, you can almost feel like you've created something that will last a good amount of episodes. Mm-hmm. But classroom was the, was a beast was the biggest beast because it had so many people in it. I was getting people like, you know, Abed, Justin, Drew Drogi, and having them drive down to Orange County to the school every month, you know, you know, get all those people down to the school that you weren't even supposed to be at the school. Uh, And then the second school I got was up in Burbank because we used two schools during the series. And that school we'd have to sneak into like during the day and sneak it. So you got Drew Drogi, you know, dressed up as LaShonda, like walking through (laughs) the school grounds. And I had this big, like, you know, prop basket with all people, everybody's costumes were in it. You know what I mean? Including my own. So I get there and I would like, you know, I was the prop master though. You know, the guy, the day before you go out and you get the waters and the muffins and everything for people to eat. Cause I was always concerned about that. I didn't want people to, you know, get there and not have things to eat and drink. So I had like a real craft services, you know, anything people would want, you know, sandwiches and I would always get pizza so yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's very gratifying when it does well. And I wouldn't have worked that hard if, if it wasn't good. Right. The classroom was for a few years thereafter it the longest running show. And I can't remember what it beat and by how many episodes as far as like that record. Oh. Hmm. Was it Yacht Rock, maybe? Or can't No, remember. because I think Yacht Rock was going at the same time as Classroom. What was the other thing? I it might have been laser fart. Did laser fart go like eight episodes? I can't remember what it beat. Yeah, that's funny because I can't remember like the day that we beat. Laser fart was 10. So that could have been. Could have been laser fart. Maybe it was laser fart. It was something like that. If it was laser fart, then we would have beaten that one on the 11th episode. Right. Because I do remember like around the 11th episode we had beaten. And then we did a, we did a 12th episode. The 10th, 11th and 12th episodes were doing really well. We were, I think we were placing number one 
pretty consistently. Right. And then um, we probably could have gone for like a lot more, but it was just such a beast of a show. You know what I mean? Like there was no money and we're doing Planet Unicorn too with some of the same characters, you know, Drew Jogies and involved in both of those. It was just easier because you didn't have to get, you don't have to depend on as many people. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you look at classroom, like we're, we're replacing actors and that, that was not because the actors were bad. That was just because it was like these actors weren't available or people couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Cause it was right. very hard. You know, you'd have to come. It was, the, the, the show needed like a budget and it didn't have one. It was hurting me like physically and mentally, you know what I mean? Like I'm not getting sleep. It's just tough. It hurts. You know what I mean? You're like a gaffer, you know, right. like, you know, the stress level, you know, I remember like I always had this phobia about like the, the mini DV tapes. Like I was Raul, Raul Fernandez and Todd Bishop were the uh, cinematographers. And I was like, do you have the mini DV tapes? And I have them. And I, I, was, I always thought I was going to lose them. You know what I mean? Because it's like it wasn't like something where it was saved somewhere else. It was like you're literally the tape guy. And you got to make sure you get these tapes back to your house. I remember like always making sure, like triple checking that if I had the DV tapes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was just like things like that where we're like, you know, not to mention all the different personalities you had to, you know, interact with. And pretty much in classroom, everyone is pretty much, you know, was very cool. I mean, I don't know what's going on, you know, off like, oh, Jesus, I got to do this. <laughs> I got to do this freaking, I got to drive that in Orange County again for this thing. So, um, you know, you're asking a lot from people right? and you wanted to keep it, uh, you wanted to keep it like a good show. We were always of the opinion that we want, we didn't want to do like a fuck off episode. Right. Of classroom. Like like the, we didn't do the boo this month kind of. Yeah. Like uh, we probably could have done something like that, but I think we were like too serious minded in our head. Right. It just didn't feel like, feel right for classroom to do an episode like that. Although we probably could have, if we really thought about it, we probably maybe could have done I don't know. The booze fuck off episode was like, we didn't do the booze, but they're like, that was as good as any of the episodes, right? Yeah. Like a whole music video. I think that might've so, been like, yeah, I don't first. know if that would have worked for classroom. People expected to see all the characters in classroom. Right. Uh, they expected like a story. Maybe we could have possibly done it if it was really good. Like it would have been funny to do like a glee episode of classroom. Now that I'm thinking about it, like I always regret that we did a Thanksgiving episode of classroom. That was like episode nine. Because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, we could have done like a classroom episode that was like LaShonda having a party and it could have been like screen. You know what I mean? Like you could have had like a, you know, like Mike Rose could have played like, you know, a, a villain who's dressed up in a mask or whatnot. Like, right. So I would have loved to have done a Halloween episode instead of that Thanksgiving episode we did. But yeah, if I had more budget and like maybe like it wasn't as hard to do, probably could have done like, you know, 20, 25 episodes of that. I appreciate that thought, but also thank you for one hell of a finale because it takes you on an emotional ride. You know, this is one of those times where it's like, I came here to laugh and you made me feel things so hard. <laughs> like that ending. Sorry. Spoiler alert, I guess. I don't- yeah, the, 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 that episode came out of like, because we were changing the characters around so much right. during the whole series. And then, uh, you know, Mike and I decided we wanted to do like a kind of like a mind bender Right. At some point, I don't remember when we thought, but we'd do like a mind bender type show. And it worked because like there were so many characters. We were changing the characters around and stuff like that. It was never really explained right. why we did that. But people really liked that about the show. I think people would like, oh, you know, Chris Romano is playing gay this this week. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was something that was like baked into the show as it went on. 
the other thing was like baked in was like that Mike Rose would play a, as the series got up into the later episodes, he would play the villain that week, mm-hmm. which is also a, a fun thing. You know, Mike came up with the idea that he would like personify all these villains inside Mr. Miller's head. And it just worked because like uh, Miller's original story is that he's this like Navy, ex-Navy guy. So, you know, there's all that military stuff that was in, right. <laughs> involved in it. That came together good. And the, the location that we got to shoot it was the uh, the Ghostbusters building in Los Angeles. Excellent choice. So that's where they shot Ghostbusters. Uh, we shot in the, the, the mental institutions, the floor above where all that Ghostbusters stuff happens. Because if you go into like the Ghostbusters Los Angeles building, that's the interior. That's where like Dan Aykroyd is like working on the car and, you know, Annie Potts and Bill Murray have their offices. They did all that stuff where we shot that. If you go up there at that point, it was being taken by, there was a literal caretaker there. (laughs) It was like something out of a horror movie and the guy was running it. He was the caretaker and he lived up on the um, tippity top of this, of the place. And in the beginning of um, the classroom episode 13, where, where Mr. Miller's stuck in the, you know, he wakes up and he's in the, he's in the padded room. That's like the caretaker's like, (laughs) I don't know what room that was. It was just like a padded room that this right. caretaker had. <laughs> so there's just like so many, it just looked like a mental institution and then it had a caretaker. So it was just very like um, fun and creepy and you know cool that it was the Ghostbusters building. So that all came together really nicely. And we shot all that in one day. So that was cool. Oh, wow. All right. It's time for one more clip. This was an epic series If my notes are correct, you're coming to this from hearing us talk about it. So, this is from episode one of Classroom. It introduces us to the iconic in 101, iconic to me character, Mr. Miller, as he was introduced in the January 29th, 2006 Channel 101 screening. Even though the last three teachers committed suicide, Mr. Brockway, I believe I can teach these kids. These kids cannot be taught, Mr. Miller. They're lost causes. I guess you're an idealist. Well, that's what a 20-year stint in the Navy and a black belt in karate will do to you. It just, it's really tough, Mr. Emmon. It makes it harder for me to figure out these math problems. Jason, I want you to say something for me. What? I'm a good kid. I'm a good kid. Say it again. I'm a good kid. Believe it. I'm a good kid. I'm a good kid. I'm a good kid. Now, Jason, what's the answer to that math problem? 72. 72. 72. Mr. Evans, 72. Yes. 72. The answer is 72. I'm a good kid. I'm a good kid. The answer is 72. 70-oo. 70-oo. Yes. Yes. 70-oo. Hey, who are you? And what are you doing in my classroom? Chicken to Monterey! Fuck you, Holmes. No more! It's okay, Holmes. Grotto, hand over the Coke. Drugs is a ticket. Nowheresville. 
Yeah, I, I, I have enormous respect for people who, who do the video shows. I make shows for Frequency 101, and you can piecemeal that. You could do a Zoom session like this and get a character and then do that five more times. So I'm, I'm spending more time just appreciating that I've never had to figure that out and admiring. No matter how long the show goes on, wow, they, they sure got a whole bunch of people in the room on the same day. Didn't yeah. They? I mean, I think like Justin and Abed, they were the only ones who showed up for all 13 episodes, I believe. Yeah. I think both of those guys played their characters throughout the whole thing. Wow. Myself, obviously, too. So, yeah, it was hard to get, you know, I, I really appreciate those guys, you know, Abed and Justin kind of like, because <laughs> they were doing things, you know what I mean? They were they were doing their own shows and, you know, right. Justin and, and Abed were both having success outside of Channel 101. So right. to be able to like, you know, but that was the thing at Channel 101. If you had like a hit show, you know, people were more willing to kind of, you know, they saw how hard you worked and they were more willing to, you know, everybody was willing to help out if they had the time for no yeah. money, things like that. That's something I want to ask you about the surroundings of people. How important to you is has been being surrounded by people who are equally passionate about making things and being in collaboration with people? Yeah, I mean it's great. I mean you need you need talented people to, you know, to embody the characters that you write and you need them to be to want to do it. So if you're serious about what you're doing and you put a lot of work into it and, you know, the script is good and talented people are going to want to be involved in your stuff. And that was the great thing about Channel 101 is that, you know, once you start getting, you know, making stuff, you could call out to people like Dan Harmon and Abed and Ryan Ridley and people like that. And they'll, they'll, they'll gladly come and be in your show and they'll give you a good performance. They'll give you a very funny, hilarious performance like that. So it was great to have all these, you know, characters um, or people to collaborate with who are like really super, you know, super talented people. Uh, before Channel 101 and um, the President Cops, I had done a, a sketch called Sexual Harassment in the Workplace. And that was probably my, that was my first kind of viral hit where everyone, you know, that became like a huge viral hit. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I really felt like, oh, like, you know, my comedy has reached people, which, you know, sexual harassment is kind of this edgy kind of like, you know, it's a spoof of a, of a sexual harassment training video. Right. But with like, you know, as the video goes on, it starts, you know, getting raunchier and raunchier. That was the first big success I had because like, you know, people back home, people all over the country, you know, like my friend lived up in Seattle. He saw all his buddies saw it in Canada, for instance, it became like this big thing because this teacher showed it thinking it was a real video. He showed it to his middle school and he played it and then he left the room and then he got suspended and it became like a big Maybe you should do research on it. Wow. He actually got suspended, you know, for a few months because he did that. Uh, and it became like a big thing on there. I don't know what your, what your CNN or Fox I, News. I think it's CBC or something. Wow. And this is years after I had made it. This is like back in 2012. So it had already been out for like eight years at that point. Right. But, uh, when I was doing the Groundlings, you know, people were really responding to my sketches and really liked my writing and stuff like that. Like I remember one show that I did. And Kristen Wig came up to me. She, you know, the groundlings watch your performances and they vote on you to move you forward. And Kristen Wig was at one of them. She came up to me and she's like, she told me that I was a fantastic writer because she really enjoyed this one sketch that I did. So that was another point where, you know, this was before she had, you know, blown up. She wasn't a, you know, that next year she got on SNL and then she blew up. But I'd known her from, um, you know, I kind of seen her and she was, you know, 
within the comedy community, she was like super well-respected and like, so it was like things like that. Yeah. When I did president cops, Dan kind of took me and Joe Davidson out for drinks. Cause back then Dan was very kind of like, he was channel one-on-one. He was like, you know, uploading everything and doing all that stuff, you know, him mm-hmm. and Rob. So he took us out for drinks. I don't know if he, he probably did that for a lot of people who made it into like, who were part of that community. That was nice to have him. So at that point, Joe and I were kind of like hundred percent sold on channel 101 because channel 101 is, you know, you actually meet people in person live. It's actual, it's an actual community when you go there. Whereas like you have a viral video on YouTube or you have viral videos, you don't really have a community. Maybe some people do, maybe they get in, maybe they do now, but back then you really didn't have a place where I think the special thing about channel 101 is like you go where there's like a few hundred other creatives watching all the stuff they're doing and you're competing with one another in a friendly competition and you're also acting in each other's stuff. You know what I mean? And then these people are, you know, as you're doing it, people are, you know, like the Lonely Island guys, that's the reason that Joe and I did channel 101, you know, a year after we started doing stuff, those guys got an SNL. Right. So for me, it was like, oh, here's another thing you can get onto SNL from. Now, I ultimately didn't get a chance to be on SNL and stuff like that, but it did get me. And I mean, Channel 101 is the reason that I got, you know, that my career was able to go. People were able to see things. I was able to like meet people actually in the comedy community. Whereas the Groundlings, like the sketch comedy stuff is like not as many people see it. Uh, you can't do another take, <laughs> which is what I love about Channel 101. It's like, Groundlings is like, you do it and that's it. People judge you and you don't get another chance, you know? So you really have to be, but what I love about channel 101 is I could do like, you know, I could have Drew Drogi do like a hundred takes of one line. And then I would have, I would pick the best line. I would be able to edit it. And you have much more control, I guess. Channel 101 is like, you know, if you do well, you get voted back by people who aren't going to bullshit you. It's not like you upload it to YouTube and you get like, you know, a thousand people being like, oh, this is awesome. At Channel 101, they're not, it, it has to be awesome. They're not going to, because people are, you know, they're voting. So they can vote any way they want. You're not going to get any, you're not going to get any um, special treatment once the video is up there. Now, before that, if you're in the community, you'll have, you'll have a better chance of like, oh, oh, it's a JD Risner show. Like people, or, or it's a Tyler Spears show. Like you'll, they'll get a little bit more in the, you know, maybe put it up there because they know the person, but uh in terms of like being judged, you're, you you have to make it good or you're not going to go forward. I, I admire the shit out of your work. I think you are rad, man. Dude. Thanks. And I say that because the work that you did brought me a lot of joy. I've only been into 101 since 2012, but that's also the same time that I watched everything up until that point. Like your, your characters are rich. Again, I'm not in the industry. I know I, I don't know what this means, how it comes off. But you are a performer and writer for me to point out to people when I, when I try to find creatives. You know, this is the kind of thing you could be involved in. I also want to get people creating stuff for any reason just to start getting better. Because that's another thing about 101 is that like, if you're not winning, you're at least getting better. Yeah, I had, you know, I was creating stuff for like a year before I got the classroom. See, I had a lot of misses. <laughs> Even Tyler, Spe- uh, who am I pointing to, the audience? Even he had some, yeah. If you had to give someone who was an up-and-coming person who wanted to tell stories and create videos, what three reasons should they submit to 101? I guess the first reason is what I said before. It's an actual community that you can, you know, if you're in the state or if you're in the area, you can actually go to the screening and you're actually become friends with the people. 
right? Right. And you could actually like become their friends and go to their parties and uh, work on their stuff. It's like an actual community. That would be number one. Number two, I think one of the um, special things about it is that it's an episode by episode thing. So it's like you're able to create something that will in your head that will be a mini version to train you to like create real television shows. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have that like there's still the five minute limit. Right. Yeah. You know, it's good training ground to, to, you know, it trains you to to write a five minute thing that's supposed to be like a regular television show. So it tra- it's almost like a television show training ground thing. I mean, you have to do more outside. You have to like study scripts and actual half hour television shows because they're much different uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like, but it, it teaches you how to be consistent. It's, it's different than like creating like, I don't know, like a TikTok video, which I'm very much in the support of everybody, you know, doing one minute TikTok videos that create like characters and stuff like that uh and sketch comedy that way i, I love that this is I, I guess this would be better for a writer than a, than a performer or like someone who wants to create a show and then put people in their show like other actors it's it's tougher because it's like you're creating it's much easier to just get on your phone and just play a character and post it up on the thing yeah <laughs> this is more like you know narrative uh so I, I think that's what makes Channel 101 special, that it's, you're creating like mini television shows that are preparing you to create bigger television shows if you want to, you know, if that's what you want for your career. Yeah. It's a community, tele- helps you create television shows. I don't know. Booze. I'm not huh? Booze? I, I don't know. Well, yeah, that, that, because like, you know, you're able to have beers with people afterwards and talk to them. You know, if you want to become friends with them, they live in the area. If mm-hmm. you're in Los Angeles or wherever the screening is, if it's in New York or not. And, it, you know, it's like UCB, like or Groundlings, you know, once you're involved in those things, you meet all those people. And because they're in the area, you're working together on project sketches. And then you could like you, you can meet someone to collaborate with if you want to, you know have someone to be a co-writer of, Hey, do you want to write movies with me? We have the same comedic sensibilities. Right. I met all these people that are like, you know, they're superstars now. You know what I mean? Like I don't really hang out with, I don't hang out with Dan Harmon or the lonely Island, lonely Island guys or, or whatnot. But if I saw Dan or something at like a bar or something like that, or out of the grocery store, you know, sometimes I see Rob Trop at the grocery store, you know, you talk to them, you know, because of channel One One. Or you're never going to be able to do that if you were just on a YouTube video or or whatnot. Yeah, so it's just a very inclusive, cool kind of community with like people who are really serious about becoming a a greater success. And I think that's kind of how Dan and Rob looked at it from the beginning is like, you know, because it came out of that their pilot that the Heat, Vision and Jack didn't get picked up, right? That was why they created Channel 101 because they got they got the ultimate rejection. You know what I mean? They thought this thing was going to go forward with these great actors and this great concept and it didn't go forward. And then they created channel one, one probably to give themselves an opportunity just to create whatever they wanted. And then it attracted all these, you know, great talents. Yeah. I mean, for me, I met like, you know, not only like Dan and all these people and the people that i worked with, you know, you met people like Jack Black. I remember at like a bar setting when we were at Cinespace, Jack Black came out to me and he's like, ah, Mr. Miller. And he, you know, like he knew me as Mr. Miller. (laughs) Right. Right. I never met him before, but he came up and he knew who I was because he was watching the shows as well because he was in like laser farts and all that type of stuff. Where else is that ever going to happen where like Jack Black comes up to you and knows you from something? <laughs> right. 
because I wasn't going to talk to Jack Black. I, I was, you know, when I get around celebrities, I don't want to be the guy that's like, you know, pestering them or whatnot. Although I have done that a few times when I'm drunk. But it's a community where, you know, you're working with these great, you know, comic people who are already comic titans, people who become comic titans. Hopefully I will become something like that at some point. Right. Um, I know it doesn't help, but you are to me. But anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's tons of opportunities that you get from it. You, you get real yeah. friendships, you know, and I don't want to I, I probably sound like I'm like, well, Channel 101 is the only place you can, you know, it's not. But um, it is like a when I was there, it was a not super tight community, but a community where like you meet one once a month and, you know, you, you get all these these people that are, you know, maybe not going to be your close friends for the rest of your life, but you're going to be able to see them and like ask them for advice. Yeah. It's a, it's net network. Obviously it's a great networking thing. Yeah. It's not a networking thing where like, it's like icky networking where like you're forcing the networking. Yeah. They're actually creating stuff and then you get the network off of what you created. So you all know you're serious about creating things. Well, if there's a silver lining for me for the pandemic, the only one possible is the fact that because of the trial of Twitch being the place where Channel 101 screens now and uh, Zoom for this, like that's how I've been able to start and maintain like new friendships in 101 for the last year and a half. But like, I mean, no, you're, you're, you're making a good case for something that I always think about, which is moving to California for sure. The other option is I could here in Ontario, Canada, create and foster a community of my own. Yeah, um, but Tyler, I it means a lot to me that you took the time to, to chat with me. I think your work is exquisite. I don't know if TylerSpears.com is still running, but like whatever you got going on, I'm ah. there for it. <laughs> I forgot about TylerSpears.com. Um, well, I really appreciate it. Um, it's been a lot of fun uh, revisiting, talking about you know the stuff. Yeah, super positive experience. And I recommend everybody to you know get involved in it. I'm, I'm so happy that I got to chat with you, man. You as well. This podcast features music used with permission from the Hollow Scene EP by Postmodern Machine. Available wherever you get bandcamp.com, but please visit postmodernmachine.com. This has been Primetime Flies, a Channel 101 podcast hosted by Todd Donald. Thanks for listening. <laughs>